The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar Nothing developed during the next two days. We saw Rosane wandering about, day and night, searching, questioning, investigating. The captain also displayed commendable activity. He caused the vessel to be searched from stern to stern, ransacked every stateroom under the plausible theory that the jewels might be concealed anywhere except in the thief's own room. "'I suppose they will find out something soon,' remarked Miss Nellie to me. "'He may be a wizard, but he cannot make diamonds and pearls become invisible.' "'Certainly not,' I replied. "'But he should examine the lining of our hats and vests and everything we carry with us.' Then, exhibiting my Kodak, a 9 by 12 with which I had been photographing her in various poses, I added, In an apparatus no larger than that, a person could hide all of Lady Jerland's jewels. He could pretend to take pictures, and no one would suspect the game. But I have heard it said that every thief leaves some clue behind him. That may be generally true, I replied, but there is one exception. Arsène Lupin. Why? Because he concentrates his thoughts not only on the theft, but on all the circumstances connected with it that could serve as a clue to his identity. A few days ago you were more confident. Yes, but since I have seen him at work. And what do you think about it now? she asked. Well, in my opinion, we are wasting our time. And, as a matter of fact, the investigation had produced no result. But in the meantime, the captain's watch had been stolen. He was furious. He quickened his efforts and watched Rosane more closely than before. But on the following day, the watch was found in the second officer's collar box. This incident caused considerable astonishment and displayed the humorous side of Arsène Lupin, burglar though he was, but dilettante as well. He combined business with pleasure. He reminded us of the author who almost died in a fit of laughter provoked by his own play. Certainly, he was an artist in his particular line of work, and whenever I saw Rosane, gloomy and reserved, and thought of the double role that he was playing, I accorded him a certain measure of admiration. On the following evening, the officer on deck duty heard groans emanating from the darkest corner of the ship. He approached and found a man lying there, his head enveloped in a thick gray scarf and his hands tied together with a heavy cord. It was Rosane. He had been assaulted, thrown down, and robbed. A card, pinned to his coat, bore these words. Arsène Lupin accepts with pleasure the ten thousand francs offered by Monsieur Rosane. As a matter of fact, the stolen pocketbook contained twenty thousand francs. Of course, some accused the unfortunate man of having simulated the attack on himself. But, apart from the fact that he could not have bound himself in that manner, it was established that the writing on the card was entirely different from that of Rosane, but, on the contrary, resembled the handwriting of Arsène Lupin as it was reproduced in an old newspaper found on board. Thus it appeared that Rosane was not Arsène Lupin, but was Rosane the son of a Bordeaux merchant. 
and the presence of Arsène Lupin was once more affirmed, and that in a most alarming manner. Such was the state of terror amongst the passengers that no one would remain alone in a stateroom or wander singly in unfrequented parts of the vessel. We clung together as a matter of safety, and yet the most intimate acquaintances were estranged by a mutual feeling of distrust. Arsène Lupin was, now, anybody and everybody. Our excited imaginations attributed to him miraculous and unlimited power. We supposed him capable of assuming the most unexpected disguises, of being, by turns, the highly respectable Major Rawson, or the noble Marquis de Raverdan, or even, for we no longer stopped with the accusing letter of R, or even such or such a person well known to all of us, and having wife, children, and servants. The first wireless dispatches from America brought no news. At least the captain did not communicate any to us. The silence was not reassuring. Our last day on the steamer seemed interminable. We lived in constant fear of some disaster. This time it would not be a simple theft or a comparatively harmless assault. It would be a crime, a murder. No one imagined that Arsene Lupin would confine himself to those two trifling offenses. Absolute master of the ship, the authorities powerless, he could do whatever he pleased. Our property and lives were at his mercy. Yet those were delightful hours for me, since they secured to me the confidence of Miss Nelly. Deeply moved by those startling events, and being of a highly nervous nature, she spontaneously sought at my side a protection and security that I was pleased to give her. Inwardly, I blessed Arsène Lupin. Had he not been the means of bringing me and Miss Nelly closer to each other? Thanks to him, I could now indulge in delicious dreams of love and happiness, dreams that, I felt, were not unwelcome to Miss Nelly. Her smiling eyes authorized me to make them. The softness of her voice bade me hope. As we approached the American shore, the active search for the thief was apparently abandoned, and we were anxiously awaiting the supreme moment in which the mysterious enigma would be explained. Who was Arsène Lupin? Under what name, under what disguise, was the famous Arsène Lupin concealing himself? And at last that supreme moment arrived. If I live one hundred years, I shall not forget the slightest details of it. How pale you are, Miss Nelly, I said to my companion, as she leaned upon my arm, almost fainting. And you, she replied, ah, oh, you are so changed. Just think, this is a most exciting moment, and I am delighted to spend it with you, Miss Nelly. I hope that your memory will sometimes revert, but she was not listening. She was nervous and excited. The gangway was placed in position, but before we could use it, the uniformed customs officers came on board. Miss Nelly murmured, I shouldn't be surprised to hear that Arsène Lupin escaped from the vessel during the voyage. Perhaps he preferred death to dishonor, and plunged into the Atlantic rather than be arrested. Oh, do not laugh, she said. Suddenly I started, and in answer to her question I said, Do you see that little old man standing at the bottom of the gangway? With an umbrella and an olive green coat? It is Ganimard. Ganimard? 
Yes, the celebrated detective who has sworn to capture Arsène Lupin. Ah, I can understand now why we did not receive any news from this side of the Atlantic. Ganimar was here, and he always keeps his business secret. Then you think he will arrest Arsène Lupin? Who can tell? The unexpected always happens when Arsène Lupin is concerned in the affair. Oh, she exclaimed, with that morbid curiosity peculiar to women, I should like to see him arrested. You will have to be patient. No doubt Arsène Lupin has already seen his enemy and will not be in a hurry to leave the steamer. The passengers were now leaving the steamer. Leaning on his umbrella, with an air of careless indifference, Ganimard appeared to be paying no attention to the crowd that was hurrying down the gangway. The Marquis de Raverdan, Major Rawson, the Italian Revolta, and many others had already left the vessel before Rosane appeared. Poor Rosane. Perhaps it is he, after all, Miss Nellie said to me. What do you think? I think it would be very interesting to have Ganimar and Rosane in the same picture. You take the camera. I am loaded down. I gave her the camera, but too late for her to use it. Rosane was already passing the detective. An American officer, standing behind Ganimar, leaned forward and whispered in his ear. The French detective shrugged his shoulders, and Rosane passed on. Then, my God, who was Arsène Lupin? Yes, said Miss Nelly aloud. Who can it be? Not more than twenty people now remained on board. She scrutinized them, one by one, fearful that Arsène Lupin was not amongst them. We cannot wait much longer, I said to her. She started toward the gangway. I followed. But we had not taken ten steps when Ganimard barred our passage. Well, what is it? I exclaimed. One moment, monsieur. What's your hurry? I am escorting mademoiselle. One moment, he repeated in a tone of authority. Then, gazing into my eyes, he said, Arsène Lupin, is it not? I laughed and replied, No, <laughs> simply Bernard d'Andrézy. Bernard d'Andrézy died in Macedonia three years ago. If Bernard d'Andrézy were dead, I should not be here. But you are mistaken. Here are my papers. They are his, and I can tell you exactly how they came into your possession. You are a fool, I exclaimed. Arsène Lupin sailed under the name of R. Yes, another of your tricks, a false scent that deceived them at Le Havre. You play a good game, my boy, but this time luck is against you. I hesitated a moment. Then he hit me a sharp blow on the right arm, which caused me to utter a cry of pain. He had struck the wound, yet unhealed, referred to in the telegram. I was obliged to surrender. There was no alternative. I turned to Miss Nellie, who had heard everything. Our eyes met. Then she glanced at the Kodak I had placed in her hands and made a gesture that conveyed to me the impression that she understood everything. Yes, there, between the narrow folds of black leather in the hollow center of the small object that I had taken the precaution to place in her hands before Ganimard arrested me, it was there, I had deposited Rosane's 20,000 francs and Lady Jerland's pearls and diamonds.
Oh, I pledge my oath that, at that solemn moment when I was in the grasp of Ganimar and his two assistants, I was perfectly indifferent to everything, to my arrest, the hostility of the people, everything except this one question, what will Miss Nellie do with the things I had confided to her? In the absence of that material and conclusive proof, I had nothing to fear. But would Miss Nellie decide to furnish that proof? Would she betray me? Would she act the part of an enemy who cannot forgive, or that of a woman whose scorn is softened by feelings of indulgence and involuntary sympathy? She passed in front of me. I said nothing but bowed very low. Mingled with the other passengers, she advanced to the gangway with my Kodak in her hand. It occurred to me that she would not dare to expose me publicly, but she might do so when she reached a more private place. However, when she had passed only a few feet down the gangway, with a movement of simulated awkwardness, she let the camera fall into the water between the vessel and the pier. Then she walked down the gangway and was quickly lost to sight in the crowd. She had passed out of my life forever. For a moment I stood motionless. Then, to Ganimar's great astonishment, I muttered, what a pity that I am not an honest man. Such was the story of his arrest as narrated to me by Arsene Lupin himself. The various incidents, which I shall record in writing at a later day, have established between us certain ties, shall I say, of friendship? Yes, I venture to believe that Arsène Lupin honors me with his friendship, and that it is through friendship that he occasionally calls on me and brings into the silence of my library his youthful exuberance of spirits, the contagion of his enthusiasm, and the mirth of a man for whom destiny has naught but favors and smiles. His portrait... How can I describe him? I have seen him twenty times, and each time he was a different person. Even he himself said to me on one occasion, I no longer know who I am. I cannot recognize myself in the mirror. Certainly he was a great actor, and possessed a marvelous faculty for disguising himself. Without the slightest effort, he could adopt the voice, gestures, and mannerisms of another person. Why? said he. Why should I retain a definite form and feature? Why not avoid the danger of a personality that is ever the same? My actions will serve to identify me. Then he added, with a touch of pride, So much the better if no one can ever say with absolute certainty, There is Arsène Lupin. The essential point is that the public may be able to refer to my work and say, Without fear of mistake, Arsène Lupin did that. 